restarts and rebrands. Ooh, don't say brand. Oh, God, don't say brand. For real, don't say that. Too late, babe. She's in the books. Mm, yeah. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin, the leader of the X-Men. Excuse me? The leader of the X-Men? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'm joining someone's new X-Men team. Fine, that's fine. Maybe I'll join the Brotherhood. Yeah, yeah you know that that's what I would rather have. Spoilers! <laughs> If you're here, you know what we talk about. You read the comics, we, hopefully. <laughs> uh, there are so many times that I think, like, should we be giving a spoiler warning at the beginning of our episodes? No, you know why you come here. You know what? You're here to just talk about it in excruciating detail and, and hear about it and nod in the car or on your or walk. Yell, or yell, yell at the car yeah. or the, the radio or your AirPods. <laughs> as you should. As you should. So... We're talking about two comics in today's, in this episode. Yes. So we decided because there were four issues plus Infinity Comics plus news that we would focus on. And, and it is kind of in line with what we've done in the past mm -hmm. where if there's a new title or a new launch, we would give an episode for that title on launch. But because we got two launches this week, we're just going to do a, a giant sized episode for these two issues. So in this episode, we're talking about... Marauders, number one, and X-Men Red, number one. A relaunch and a rebrand. Don't say brand. I'm going to say it. You have to. Cut her out. Abigail is coming. Abigail. She's got powerful friends. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Before we dig in, do you have news? Uh, I don't really have any news prepared for right now, other than, I mean, there's been some stuff revealed about judgment day and some of the tie-ins and we'll talk about that a little bit further in the other episode okay cool as well as dr strange tickets went on sale i texted juan <laughs> the feeling when you want to buy dr strange tickets before you buy morbius tickets oh yeah morbius is out i keep forgetting about that so do most people and and but actually the people that i've heard from enjoyed it a lot more than the critics did which well, that's is good. promising because that's good you know I do consider myself more of a fan than a critic. Yes. I'm there. Sometimes you are. Yeah. Sometimes you're not. Well, depends on if I need to put my critic hat on. Oh, yes. All right. Well, even though we're not talking about all four issues today, we did have a special request. Oh, yeah. From our friend PJ. Shout out to PJ. So PJ asked us to rank the books without looking at the reading order in the back in the order of which we would read them or our favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, that just do a little context setting. I never look at the order in the back. Uh, my order that I read them in is determined by my, my least anticipated first to my most anticipated last. Mm -hmm. And that is based off of just solicitation text, maybe some preview pages, the art, just generally how I'm feeling about that story. And I will post them in reverse order on the Wednesday morning post. Mm -hmm. So You'll my most anticipated, most anticipated is first. first because, you know, I'm not just going to, I'm not going to lead with my least anticipated book. Right. And I will break that for various reasons when I just want to read something. Like Immortal X-Men, I read that first. You just had to read I it. I had to read that. And then I read it again after I read the other books last week. 
So my reading order is generally based on the order in which Justin stacks the comics and hands them to me and or leaves them out for me to read. Which sometimes changes from my initial perceptions or my initial predictions. So this time around, uh, I took notes on the pre-read order. So I put them in my own order to read them. And then I went back and I put them in order after I had read them. Hype order. All right, I'll go first. This was my order in which I actually read them. So I guess my anticipation order of least excited to most excited was X-Force, then the X-Force annual, then Marauders, then X-Men Red. Solid list. Solid list. After reading them, the order changed. And it became from, you know, least favorite to most favorite, X-Force, Marauders, X-Force Annual, X-Men Red. Might be shocking news to some. It was to me when I saw that (laughs) last night. That was one of the moments, you know, usually Justin likes to sit next to me when I'm reading because I say things out loud. She editorializes her her reading experience. (laughs) He likes to just kind of watch my reactions. So at the end of reading, I put them all stacked them all up in order and he saw that I swapped Marauders and and the X-Force annual and his jaw dropped. Yeah. And he just stared at me for like a solid minute in disbelief. Yeah. I didn't change the order even if I did potentially enjoy the annual more than X-Force proper. But my order was X-Force annual number one, X-Force number 27, Marauders number one, and X-Men Red number one. And I kept that order. As much as I did enjoy the annual, I like the seeds that Percy's building. I thought that they, they both were yeah. good for X-Force. You know, yeah, yeah. Take that as you will. I love X-Force. I do too, at times. Surf and Bubs was a decline. And, and We're not going to talk about Surf and Bubs. We have to. You ha- you can't, if you can't read me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. All right, so we're starting... With Marauders. Oh my gosh. This, I just, your reaction to the cover. I hate was, it so much. Last night. I hate it so much. I'm sorry. It just like, it just looks like a. What did you, t- what did you say? I said it looks like bad CGI animation of the characters, which I hate saying things like that about people's art. And I'm sorry, but it's just not for me. It's not my cup of tea. It's not how I like to see my comic art. Yeah. I it's, mean, it's cool if you like that style of art it's not my personal preference yeah i mean i said interesting art style interesting is usually what i say when i don't want to commit to negative (laughs) or positive it's interesting i have heard and am considering what that is uh but i do really like the the team shot oh yeah i love the layout of it and there's a lot of energy in it and Mm -hmm. i do i don't dislike this art style it's just not what i would normally experience Mm. In a comic. Yeah. All right, you ready? Yeah. Here we go. Page turn noise. We're jumping right into the promise that Steve Orlando set out to do in this Marauders book, a rescue mission. A rescue mission. We're going to places where we're not wanted and we're saving the people that we need to. Mm-hmm. Fire everywhere. Humans with new gadgets about to put it out. And interesting that the captain's toy isn't inherently mutant related seeing how surprised he is to hear that that thing's a mutant right what did he think it was right but it is from gyrick who is mm. dead <laughs> who is no longer with us yeah 
He's in space. He's space rock. Maybe reinvented as a robot because that's how evil humans go. But our team is bringing the business. I do like this as the uh, the diplomatic team. You know, you have your heavy guns and your your leader. Your heavy guns. It's really what it is. Yeah, you have your heavy guns and your light guns and your guns. <laughs> <laughs> They're saving Fever Pitch, who seemingly died in this same location almost fifteen years ago in reading time. Oh, so this is not his first appearance. He's been uh, a character kind of loosely in the background, but uh, he was clocked as dead in Jackson Hole, Wyoming in X-Force Volume 3. I believe it was number 15 or number 13. Don't quote me on that. So the idea is essentially he didn't actually die. He didn't actually die. You know, now we see he's been messed up by some humans and is turned loose. What, What does Psylocke say? Humans turned him into a suicide bomb. The man's been trying to pull himself back together ever since. So, so in that time. Right. So he was kind of like blown apart, but not dead. Yeah. And trying to pull himself back together. Just visual design. He's like glob on fire. Yeah, you know? he really is. <laughs> glob on fire. You get, you... This glob is on fire. <laughs> oh, man. All right. We got a title page. Here comes the new crew. Extinction Agenda. Ooh, looming. Ooh. Written by Wait Steve Wait a second. Or- Isn't that... E is for extinction. Oh, okay. Yes, but yes. Carry on. Written by Steve Orlando. Art by Eleonora Carlini. Color art by Matt Miller. Letters and production by Ariana Maher. This is Ariana Maher. Ariana Maher is on letters and production of both of our titles in this episode. Get it, Ariana. Get it. All right, here we go. Back into the story. This whole thing is very interesting. Very interesting. Why? Because what the heck is... Okay, well, first of all, Cassandra Nova. Right, right, right. That in itself is interesting. The tease, the reveal, the... Second of all, the fact that she was put here by Charles? Yeah, in this location. In this location. And third... We have no prisons. We have no prisons on Krakoa. We just have holding areas for people to stay in against their will. No prisons. Yeah. We just put them in voids. And apparently Krakoa has organs. And it's fine for Cassandra Nova to be removing them. Yeah. Not only organs, but also an archipelago that Krakoa didn't know about. Someone made it forget a part of its own body. Someone like Charles Xavier. Mm. And... Kate is following the map from the Mysterium puzzle box from the Marauder's Annual, Inferno, and originally the Hellfire Gala. So we've been following this artifact through some of our our big event type things leading into the start of this giant mystery that is interesting in the fact that it, it kind of plays in the unknown. Yeah. But I have so many questions. So many questions. Yeah, Cassandra, she found a little fun project to keep her busy, digging up and removing <laughs> organs from the ground in Krakoa. I just feel like that's not okay. Right. The first blood spilled. It's just, it's an interesting section of time, right? So the first mutants of the second generation are the ones we see alluded to in Hoxpox, and then later go on to become the Iraqi people and Apocalypse and his family and all of that. Mm-hmm. But... The last of the first still fight for life. So there's this mystery, new continuity, new developments, and yeah. a, a new uh, rivalry potentially brewing between some longtime allies. It's definitely leaving a lot to 
you know, unfold in the next arc of this book. And I do think it's interesting that Cassandra Nova's like, no, no, no. I'm still evil, just not towards mutants anymore. Right, right. But don't don't get it twisted. I'm still evil. Right. And and references, I think it's really interesting that we have two big starting titles that are both referencing X-Men Red in some way. You have the title coming back with X-Men Red, mm. and you have the final moments of Cassandra's last plight being referenced here. Right. That occurred in X-Men, in Red, X-Men Red in Tom Taylor's, Taylor's version. Mm. We've got... A hefty little data page yeah. here. <laughs> you you sighed so loud when you turned the pages. Oh man, all these words. Oh god, so many words. There was a couple data pages in in these this week's issues that were pretty hefty. Yeah, but I do like getting Bishop's reviews on the roster. Mm-hmm. And I love that Bishop is like, we're doing this in paper. Right, yeah, because no, we don't trust people. We don't trust anybody, taking no chances. I'm going to write this down on a piece of paper. I'm going to lock it away in a drawer. And I also, uh, you know, I don't want to harp on this because I, I, we don't know when it'll play out, but I am reminded of Bishop's reaction to the war call in X-Men number nine mm-hmm. and who the people are that he needs to work on. And Kate being one of those people who has close proximity frequently and and you keeping communication you keeping you know this this influence mm-hmm. off the books of your powerful telepath friends i don't know yeah might be reading into it too much but mm. you could never read into it too much <laughs> you know what i do love what this do you love? this page on danger island oh my god i think this is one of the first times we've seen danger island actually used as intended to train and fight and i also love seeing tempo use her yeah, power in this offensively. way that she just like taps this thing and then it sucks decays. the life out of like him. your whole life has happened goodbye i love seeing tempo's power in action and and the interesting bit that bishop said about her relationship with time mm. differs from his, from his and, and yeah. from normal time travelers i feel like that's you know tempo everyone was very vocal during the X-Men election, the first round, that there's a lot to explore with Tempo because she has not had a lot of character development. Yeah. And I feel like this is just scratching the surface. Yeah, I can't wait to see what happens with her. And Psylocke. Yeah, and and just this first, these first three panels, the action energy of them. There's there's been a handful of uh, comments about the art in this book on a couple of occasions of, of people not liking it, of it not being what they had expected or what they would normally see in in art um for a comic i i do like it i do like the especially the i don't want to say chaotic scenes but the scenes where there's a lot of action like the the opening pages in all the the fire i thought those were amazing and the closing pages in space i thought those were really intense the it's some of the the team lineup standing there shots that lose me a little bit some of the details yeah i i have mixed feelings because i really like the movement of the art i like the layouts i love the layering like in this shot with tempo stretching and psylocke just standing there this like kind of holographic feeling that it has to it well that's the danger island right yeah the holographic yeah but like i i do i do like the that and i like this style sometimes it's just some of the faces of the characters i don't 
love. Yeah. Like Kate in particular, I just, for me, it, I feel like what I like about what some artists have done with Kate is that they have made her feel more mature because she's stepping into a larger role and she is more mature. And I feel like this makes her look younger again and mm. like a little baby child. And that I don't love. Yeah, it, it almost has somewhat of an anime quality to it. Yeah, I, like if this was a X-Men cartoon, it would be phenomenal. And it's not that I don't like it, the art at all. It's just that some of it isn't how I, I guess like how I've become attached to the characters and, and how they are presented and Kate specifically. Like I just think she just looks younger here and I want her to have that more mature womanly presence to her you want your girls to be taken care of yeah i gotta take care of my girls this page felt out of place a little odd you know it's like a heavier nod to x-men red mm. the added costume detail it was just weird yeah gene dressed up for the occasion cassandra's resolve now shifted to a new target which we kind of already got from her meeting with kate mm. I, I, I questioned the need for this page but it's, it's there yeah it's there yeah Kate just left me to wrap up my my work, and now I'm off to join a team. I'm going to be on the team. I do love these small character exchanges. A lot oh, of yeah. what the annual did was setting these characters in place. But even at that point, there wasn't a whole lot connecting them or bringing them together. So having some bonding moments helps to make the team function more believably. Yeah, it kind of brings me back to uh, X Factor mm -hmm. and how, you know, in the beginning of that run. <laughs> literally and physically. Literally, we're in the boneyard. But like giving me that, okay, we're building a family. We're, we're seeing the individual relationships. We're going to get different mixes of different characters with their little side moments so we can start to build the dynamics of how this team will play off of each other, how they function, you know, who inspires who, who right. relies on who. Right. I think... That's going to be really important in the story overall as it progresses. Mm -hmm. Speaking of what the annual did and the aftermath, Akiro is still dealing with brimstone love and what had happened. Mm. Luckily, Somnus has dream therapy of sorts, so he can easily slash apart uh, mental construction. Although of... it doesn't seem to last quite long enough for him. Yeah, no, I wanted more. You told me I could have years or, or all the time in the world. He's like, yep, yeah, but not today. We've got things to do. We've got things, plus Aurora's here. See, but now in this image of Kate, she looks much more mature. But in some of her, like, head-on images, I think it's like the rounding it's, of her face. It's the rounding, but I also think it's the scrunching of the nose. Mm. And, it, you know, it's, it's very specifically that one image of her at the council by a different artist. But I remember in a, in a different book... And I remember you reacting like wildly upset because <laughs> she she was acting like a child, essentially. She yeah. was like pouting her face. I think that was Inferno. Yeah. The final member of the, the new team. The reaction. Shock. Awe. Basically all our reactions to Cassandra Nova joining. My favorite moment. Should I know who this is? <laughs> yeah. Somnus, brand new character. Relatively new, but has a connection to Akiro that has been backfilled by Steve Orlando. And also very relatable for yeah. people who are don't know who this who is. Who don't know who Cassandra Nova is, you know? Just this like moment of why is everybody so upset about this? You know, it's a really nice way of adding in that connection point for your audience and using that as a tool to tell then tell you who she is so that you get that deeper understanding. Especially in this next data page yes. with Sinister, Cecilia Reyes and 
Dr. Nemesis. What an interesting combination. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and a great, great number of points about the questions of mutanthood mm. around Cassandra, but as well as Sinister. How would Thunderbird react to finding out what happened with his DNA while he's been gone? How? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We've seen he's already angry about other he's things. He's very angry. How Cassandra wasn't acting maliciously or intentionally but out of survival when she copied Charles's DNA. Right, because it wasn't... I love that that point about how it was a survival, just a, a reaction, an instinct versus a thought-out plan, you right. know, that did not have malicious intent. It was... Survival. Survival. And just this idea of she did that, and then we're tying it into the solidification of the idea that she was an actual baby that was born, which happened in Lives of Wolverine. Because before, it was kind of questioned. It wasn't really like... Well, so at the core, she is still a mama dry. Right. But she was a physical entity that was born, which was like kind of questionable when she first appeared of like, how did she come into existence, right? Right. right. And, and still, you know, it was a little questionable about the fact that she copied Xavier's physical makeup to create a body for herself. And yeah. so was Sharon Xavier never pregnant with twins or, or developed right. pregnancy? Into t- I don't I don't know what, you know, sonographs at that age look like or right, what you right. could tell. Yeah, there's a baby in there. Maybe two. I don't Maybe know. I'm a doctor. But Try some cocaine. <laughs> I'm a doctor. Try some cocaine. Here's the thing, too, is that they're saying in this like, oh, she has to have equal power to Charles. But I would argue that she has more power because she did this before she was even a formed entity mm, maybe yeah well, I, w- I would say that her powers are at a level that is equal to his because they are a, a replication of but her willingness to use them for her own preservation is much stronger mm. is it <laughs> <laughs> her her ability to manipulate other people for the benefits of herself it's just more out in the open yeah 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 <laughs> some mind games how quickly cassandra has read their minds and sized them up charles mm-hmm. telepaths at large could use this amount of watching their back like come on the fact that she has clocked everyone in the room before they even start talking yeah that's true i will say one of the things that this art does really well is just make cassandra give you the heebs no matter what oh yeah like she creeps me right out and it instantly makes me not trust her bald catherine hepburn (laughs) (laughs) i I do love the the facial expressions on her too yeah she just looks so devious so devious casually downplaying the genocide of 16 million mutants yeah no big deal Ah, you know it's just look at look at sinister and apocalypse and what they've done I mean, also true. Yeah, but that's scale. That's a, you know. Yeah. Scale is a huge thing. The first generation of mutants are prisoners of the Shi'ar. This is where the issue starts to get. This is where I started to not, not not like it as much, but it felt very. Inside. Maybe. No, it's not really the word I'm looking for. It just was like, all of a sudden, we zoomed out to this huge idea that I felt like I didn't understand. And so many characters and elements that I just felt were like all so new that I, I'm i not in it enough yet. Right. I don't understand it enough yet. Yeah. And it's not that I'm not intrigued or interested in this storyline because I am. It's just that 
when I had to look at all the issues together after that point, I was like, okay, I'm intrigued by what happened in Marauders and I love Marauders and I'm excited of where the team went, but I'm not really connected to this story yet. So if in ranking them of, you know, what was the most exciting to me, this was not at the top. Yeah, you don't have a solid footing on here. Right. There's a lot of deep cut references and a lot of new stuff. And and Steve Orlando has been very upfront that he loves playing in the nitty gritty details. Which which will end up being very exciting. Right. And especially as it breathes and you get a little bit more context on some of the pieces. And right. Right. Like, I think this whole thing is cool. I think it's kind of crazy that. Big concept. Cool concept. Yeah. I do think it's kind of funny that we're like, okay, we're going to bring the Marauders back to being the Marauders. And then we're like, nah, but it's the Marauders in space. Which is kind of what they were doing at the end. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I assume that the again is from Bishop. Mm-hmm. We're needed in space. Again, again. They're going the long way to confront the Shi'ar. They don't want any unwanted attention. And we go fast track to the Shi'ar. The Marauders are coming. They're bringing your aunt. And there's a bad clue of information with them. Right. And the Shi'ar know this because, because they can detect them. Well, so they're in Shi'ar space, yes. right? So they've just entered into Shi'ar space. They can c- detect how many people are on board because of life form detection. Mm-hmm. They can detect who owned or, or cross-reference who owned the ship. So they, they know, okay, this is associated with the Hellfire Trading Company. May or may not be the Marauders, likely the Marauders. Probably the Marauders. And there's Mysterium on board that is a billion years old, right? right? And this dives into that mystery, the unknown of, okay, so, and it's a lot of the unknown that's threaded throughout, right? How is Cassandra tied right. to it? How is Kate tied to it? Her last name inscribed on yeah. the box. I'm actually so excited for all of that. Like, I can't wait to learn more. And we get the reveal from Delphos the Red, a secret society of Shi'ar, the Kin Crimson. Mystery just abound. Not much revealed, which has my attention, just also has my confusion a little. Yeah, in in that of like, am I supposed to know who this person is? Have I heard of them before? Nope. You know who Delphos is because of their previous association with Zandra and being of her council and, and she's the precog that has been around but her association with the kin crimson and this name of delphos the red this is all new cool. to my knowledge cool what Zandra sees makes her take this threat seriously and say that the marauders must never uncover the truth which is cray to yeah me. it just you know so cassandra seems to think that the first generation of mutants are still alive Mm-hmm. So they're captured, captured by the Shi'ar, enslaved. tested on. Yeah, something. Right. They're the secret source of all the Shi'ar power, Potentially, some craziness. Yeah, the reasons, Called it here, everybody got that. It's the reasons <laughs> why they were able to amass an empire. And, right. You know, they, if you think about it, they share a similarity with the Iraqi people. And and that is, so the, the way that xandra is brought up in both issues like i feel like there's going to be a really powerful connection between marauders and x-men red well and especially if it's just in these couple of issues as it then starts out and and does its own thing but yeah there was a handful of connections between the two yeah and also her saying the marauders must never find out like they're gonna right we gotta they gotta if they don't i'm out but first boost fruits boost fruits smirdiakov who at first I thought was Dmitry Smerdyakov, because that's the only deep connection I have to that name. That's the chameleon who's a Spider-Man bad guy. 
Mm-hmm. Turns out, no. No. Deep cut to District X, which was that? a 2004 series, cops in mutant town, basically. Bishop, who has is now referencing Smerdyakov, so Gregor Smerdyakov, falls asleep and becomes a tree. Would, so the fruit falls off of Or at least he tree? has some ability to grow this fruit. And somehow this fruit... Boosts. Boosts. So forget you, Fabian. We don't need you anymore. No, nah, I don't need it. All right. That's interesting. Cassandra Nova's taking a nap. Yeah. She's using this time to sleep. <laughs> Love this page. Oh, yeah. And, and these next few pages, I feel like, is where the art really shines. In the same way at the beginning, this chaos, this battle, this excitement, you know, I, I feel like. It gives was, me Star Wars vibes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Love it. Here for it. You know what? This always happens. I have my feelings, and then we go through the issue, and then I'm like, T- I take it back. I love it. Forget <laughs> it. Forget what I said. Your art is gorgeous. Okay, Kate's a baddie. Whatever. <laughs> Carrying on. But watch out. Incoming angry faces. Incoming angry faces. I love the moments here between Bishop and Psylocke. Yeah. Where he's basically like, you know, you were part of the scene for a reason. Like, he addresses his concerns that he writes about to Kate, just like straight up to her face. Like, we want you here because we want you here. Because of you, all of you, every part of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Battles. But they were defeated. The big guns were defeated. The big guns. And they've been captured, deflected, and boarded by Uh-oh. Eric the Red. Which, when I read Davan this. Shakari. When I read this, I was like, I know, I know who he is, and I'm supposed to remember how he's important, yeah. but I don't. Yep, the Dark Phoenix Saga. Okay. Which he hasn't really been seen much, and, and I don't know, yeah, there have it, been other people who have taken on the mantle of Eric the Red. It was actually a cover identity for Cyclops at one point. Oh. I mean, if this is Delphos the Red. Right. And Eric the Red, yep. are they both, they are both part of this? Kin Crimson, I would assume. Okay. Yeah. So they are these I mean, these their outfits keepers. look very. Uh, Similar, yeah. Like they're on the same team. They are these keepers of the ancient Shi'ar secrets. Keepers of the no-no business. Yep. <laughs> no Kirk Cohen. And, and this follows the trend from last week where there was no Kirk Cohen on Immortal X-Men. Well, the layouts of things have changed. Like the the ending pages layout is different. We've got the emblems the, of the all logos, the individual yeah. titles. We've and, got corner boxes. Yeah, and the, the title pages are different. And the um, little, they're not boxes anymore, but the shapes that the characters are shown in are larger. Like the layouts, they're just like revitalized the look. Yeah, I like parts of it. Yeah, I like parts of it too. I like. I, like- I don't like parts of it because I I just <laughs> I know that's that's a me thing. I really enjoyed translating Krakoan well, every week. I do like the way they have the the title name and yep. then the Krakoan for the title, not the title of the issue, but the issue itself, like the name of the title. Yes, like Marauders, and then here it says next, and they show you next in Krakoan, which are all things that they had done in previously just placed differently on the page right so the next issue is called eric the red so i guess we'll get a follow-up on that yeah big thoughts what'd you think i did enjoy it 
I really did. I'm really excited about where it's going to go. And I feel like a lot of what your initial feelings were, and, and I kind of anticipated this, is just the amount of unknown. Right. The amount of references that are beyond your grasp and just the the size of this story and what it's trying to do, which I think is ambitious for an issue one, I think. You know, I think it was set up really well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, takes you in and it's like okay let's do this i by no means disliked the issue no um i just like i said in the beginning i just haven't lived in it enough for it to be a top tier for me yeah you know yeah the the details though i mentioned it before steve orlando he loves playing in those deep cut details and i like that as an approach hopefully it doesn't leave others confused or feeling like they're on the outside looking in on a fun time Mm -hmm. you know and i feel like there is some of that that some big new ideas that seem contained within the story, but also have the potential to blow into something much larger with the Shi'ar and how they're connected to the mutant societies. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is going to be bananas when it all comes tumbling down around the Shi'ar. Your initial thoughts to seeing this team in action. How how are they functioning together? This is the new team, right? The, this is replacing the classic Marauders with some new fresh I think, faces. I think it's great. I think, you know, there's always room for seeing more of the characters in the battle. Um, but this was the first one. I We got to see Tempo doing some stuff. Uh, Psylocke was doing things Bishop was doing things Kate had her moments we're getting to know some of the other characters a little bit better you know I like that there's tension between them because of either you know the fact that it's a new team and they're still working out their kinks and or you know some of them are mass murderers (laughs) so I think there's there's a lot of potential for the dynamics of this team to be really great and I think For an issue one to be having to give you all of this plot and all of this setup but still give you highlighted character moments, we got a really great balance of all of that. So I'm I'm really excited to see like where that goes next. Yeah, it's interesting and especially in contrast to X-Force Annual number one coming out this week, how the annuals served very different purposes. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed X-Force Annual much more than I was expecting to just because of what it dug into. But it was very separate. You know, it was the writer for that title had no communication with Ben Percy. Mm -hmm. And it was just, hey, I'm in this world and I'm telling a story with these characters. And that's that's it. That really? Yeah. Wow. Whereas the Marauders Annual explicitly set up this new run of Marauders. There Mm -hmm. was a baton pass. And, you know, that I feel like is unique for an annual, you know, unless you're reading Chris Claremont annuals where he's stringing them together in some madness that only he knows and until you read all, all four or five of them years later. Most annuals are just, you know, not throwaways, but just one-offs, one-off that stories. don't connect to something larger mm. or seed something more. Does your interest outweigh your confusion? Yes, 100%. That's good. That's good. Uh, that was, I, I don't want to say I was concerned about it, but as I was reading it, I was like, this is... Just know that there would have to be a lot of things I didn't like for me to not want to read Marauders anymore. Right. Well, and especially just I, I do love this team and it already mm-hmm. feels like they're all a part of a team versus individuals doing their own things. I mean, there are so many characters on this team that I feel that I love so much. Kate, Bishop, Psylocke, Tempo. Right off the bat, those four, I'm here for it. Yeah. 
you know? And then the others that I do like, and yeah. I'm liking getting to know them. And I, I really liked Akira and Aurora in X Factor. Yes. And I'm interested in Somnus. I always like adding a new character. And yeah. then Cassandra Nova's Cassandra the Nova wild wild card. Like, yeah. There's there's so much intrigue into her connections to the past and you know, why did Charles hide her away? And what is she even doing on Krakoa? And just like all of it about her, her in itself is makes you want to read it. What section has your attention most? Like what what plot point or what where are your curiosities? What are you looking forward to in issue two? Well, okay, that question has layers. So the thing that I am most interested in is the box, this idea of the first blood spilled yeah. and where those mutants are. That's that storyline, that connection is the thing I'm most interested in. As far as what what I'm looking forward to in issue two, because I, I don't think we're going to get any of that. No, that, that's and the that's long That's like the long game, right? I think in issue two, I'm most excited about seeing how the team can start to combine their skills and their powers to enhance their skills in battle. I think one of the things that made it, one of the reasons that they didn't win this battle and they got captured is because they're a new team and they're still working on how they work off of each other and how their dynamics work. So seeing them be able to build that and come up with their power combinations and, and how they can tactically work together and watching the team grow is the thing I'm most excited for in the next like few issues. But the thread of this box and how it's a, all these years old billions of years old or whatever this mysterium the idea behind the Shi'ar knowing where these mutants are or what happened to them like all of that is really really intriguing to me mr dalton on instagram said that marauder's art is so distracting i couldn't finish the issue oh no right which i mean i i hear you it's different it pulls you out a little if it's not what you're expecting but hopefully if you heard this and you see where it's going it Brings you back to to try. Yeah, I would say give it a second chance. You know, I, because I felt you, you really heard strongly, even even through this episode. But literally, when I finished reading it, I was like, I don't like the art, and that's what I said. But now going back and being able to talk about it more and dig more into the story and look at the art again and appreciate, like, I think the thing about the art is if you just look at the art for the individual characters or like a close up detail you might not feel great about it. But I encourage you to take a step back and look at the art as its full layout. Look at all the elements of the art, not just the art itself, but the colors and the layout and the motion and the feeling and try to, you know, allow yourself to say like, okay, maybe this isn't what I was expecting. Especially towards the end section of the book, I feel like that's where the art is the strongest. Yes. Just the, the chaos or the action sequences and really showing off what can be done in yes, this space. Yes, totally. Warline Comics said it was meh. No hard feelings, Alicia. Heart and laugh cry emoji. <laughs> no hard feelings for me either, Warline. I agree. Well, actually, I don't agree that it was meh, but it did bump down one one peg in my list. So I understand. And I also understand that I have a special place in my heart for Marauders, and it's not always everybody's favorite. On to X-Men Red. On to X-Men Red. Hee <laughs> hee. Okay, let's talk about this cover. So, oh, 
Ooh, baby. Just, just to recap, our most anticipated before and after reading the issue. Yes. We have powerhouses over here, Storm, Magneto, and I'll even say it, Sunspot. And I'm going to say right now, uh oh, before we even get into this book, uh oh, I actually liked Birdo in this issue. Uh oh. Well, he was humanized. Yeah. He was not a D. He, you know, he had elements of himself, but. But he, I didn't read this and go, oh my God. Roberto da Costa. Yeah, I actually liked him. So, and then this is just this looming Abigail Brandy butt face in the background. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, Russell Dodderman can do no wrong in my no, eyes. No, no wrong. So this is, this is a great cover. Uh, you, you have the these three at the center with Abigail looming in the distance, really thematically building the concept. Uh, I do want to bring up something that has just did reference it, the corner boxes, mm. right? So there's been a lot of conversation about the corner boxes, them coming back in this streamlined form in the Destiny of X. What are your thoughts on them? I don't mind them. I like them, actually. I think I, I like that we always get this like, destiny of x thing in there and i see clearly the names of the people who are involved i mean from a cataloging organizational perspective in my mind they're very clean and easy to find that information do i think that they pull my attention to the corner immediately and make me shift my focus from the art a little bit yes yeah that's what i want to talk about specifically this issue's corner box i think they're fine they accomplish what they need to but honestly, they're not visually interesting. And right. it, it stands out here specifically because of how the logo for X-Men Red is very much so a part of the design yes. of this cover, yes. which makes the corner box, to me, stick out like like an ugly block of distraction. Like yes. this information otherwise would have been on the cover. The, mm-hmm. the lie that they're telling us with three digits on that corner box as if we're even going to break 20 issues <laughs> before it gets rebooted. Get out of here, Marvel. I know your name. It's so funny that you brought that up because right before you said something about the corner boxes, the next thing I was going to say was about how the X-Men Red title and the logo and the structure of it, with it being a moon or a planet, it, it ties so well into the design. Like that was the next thing I was going to say. So right. I I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying. So, you know, and, and also I collect and have collected a ton of the classic corner box art and where it was the heads in the box yeah. or a standout of a character. And and that was character. You know? It's cool because it's art and this is just information. Function. Yeah. Designed well, not not knocking the design or the... No, I like the design. It's very streamlined. Right. It makes me happy. <laughs> but I, I would be like, put that somewhere else maybe. All right, you ready? Here we go. Page turn noise. What was teased, albeit confusingly, back in Sword Number Eight, is now revealed: the battle of Storm versus Storm. I was still confused by it in this whole issue. Oh, I really? Still, one hundred percent, do not fully understand what is going on. I, I get that Storm is battling herself? Question mark. Storm is battling Nameless, an Omega-level shapeshifter who previously was the Regent of Araco. Okay, there we go. I got that a little bit at the end that it wasn't really Storm, but I. I think because I never saw them as themselves, mm-hmm. I didn't fully understand it. So thank you. There you go. That's some details in the box art, the narrative captions around the pages. 
but we get some explanation as to why she's in her first appearance costume, right? Mm. Why she's fighting her first appearance. You in your prime, your best self. Oof. And I would argue that she may be her best self now. I I would argue, yeah, that... She's always her best self. Probably. Punk Storm is best self. Mm. <laughs> well, you're going to get kind of that later. Yes, and I'm super excited. Me too. This is an intense battle. Interesting yeah. content about Storm's presence in Araco. She is not of this land. She did not suffer in the prisons like the Iraqi. She tries to let Nameless yield, similar to her fight with Tarn. Yeah. But that is not the way of an Iraqi. It looks like Nameless kills herself here. I love I love this um this moment in the battle where Storm's like, I'm doing an inversion split, kick in the air, upside down. Just a very athletic dancery moment that I caught. And I was like, yeah, get it, Storm. Do that backflip. Kick your leg up. Always being amazing. Always. This art. <laughs> Stefano. This art. I love it. And the colors. You know, I think we talked about this a little bit in Lives of Wolverine. And we talked about it with Joshua Kassara about the colorists like choosing to. Different tones. Different, for different tones, right. For locations. each different time spot and and making it feel like really unique and in itself and the way that the blues and the grays and the blacks and like the tone of her lightning and the chill of the air and all of that is kind of tied in through that whole battle i love it and you do know stefano casale in that you've seen his work before and federico blee who was the mm -hmm. color artist mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's also part of it is it feels familiarity. Familiar. Yeah. yeah. Can we just talk about how freaking adorable a Rocco itself is? Like Krakoa as a tree always kind of has like sad face, sad face, like angry face. But look at this little like little up lower lip pout hey, cutiness. Do you do you all have my best interests? Hey, I'm a Rocco. In What's up? Adorable. Where's my red root? <laughs> Can you bring my red root back? Love it. We're at the Great Ring and we're restless for war. Similar to the conversation from X-Men number nine, mm -hmm. the place of Arako. Iska taunting Storm about her desires for leadership, similar to what Nameless was doing. It seems to be a thread throughout this issue. Like, aren't you the one who wanted to be queen? Right. And she keeps saying, I'm not queen. I'm regent. I'm regent. All this and also, like, we're a group and we're a council and we make decisions together. And yet they still force her to be the one to make the decision. Well, not all of them. They don't force her. She, by her seat, has a second vote. Right, but the choice to abstain, specifically Iska, right? Right. I mean, Chooses to abstain, which ties the vote, which makes Storm have to make the final decision. Which, if you're in the leadership right, position, right. you got to wear the big pants, you know? Right, but it just kind of feels a little bit like set up to fail. Ha ha, you right. made this choice now. It was your fault. I mean, so all of this sets up the reveal of how Storm became the region of Araco, but not really the why. Like, right. why did Storm want to take that seat on Araco before the Hellfire Gala? Mm. So that was some of the detail in the beginning pages. Yeah. This happened in a battle when Araco was still on Earth. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Maybe it has something to do with, like, Storm wanting to make the people of Araco feel more connected and by fighting their leader to the death and like, taking taking them under her wing yeah maybe you know 
she didn't think about it like that. She was like, how can I take them under and, and nurture them? Yeah. Well, you, know, you think about how Brand interprets Let's not. her intention. Because I initially I thought that it was <laughs> a suggestion by Brand or that mm. it was manipulations or, or moves in place by Brand. Brand doesn't want any of it. And we don't know exactly where the desire for this throne, for this seat came from. Right. At least not yet. Not yet. Title page. Who can save the Red Planet? The Broken Land. Written by Al Ewing. Art by Stefano Casali. Color art by Federico Blee. Letters and production by Ariana Maher. VCs, Ariana Maher. The Fisher King. Oh, the Fisher King. So I, Magneto's new boyfriend. <laughs> best friend. You know, his new therapist. I want to call this out now because it's a huge undertaking and moves so well. Arako is still a relatively new and unexplored location. And yet, this story moves from place to place, establishing pockets of great character work. And mm-hmm. I just feel like for broad strokes covering the surface of this giant location, yeah, really great job. Yeah. I have to, I have to give another shout out to PJ because I cannot take credit for that thought as being my own authentic thought. So PJ and I were talking about how, you know, basically Magneto leaving the council is like him divorcing Charles and he's like, I'm out, I'm out on this partnership. And then he goes to Araco and he immediately finds a new old man to become his partner. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you think they're still together, Charles and Magneto? I just think that they're taking some time. I don't, and I don't see that relationship develop between Magneto and the Fisher King. I, I see them more as like war hardened and in trading stories and, and, and getting they to know each other. Find a bond. Yeah, leaving the door open though. <laughs> silver hair. This this. I moment, love it. I love that he calls him Silver Hair, and it's like, dude, you also have silver hair. <laughs> right, right. But this moment of bravado, you shall not address me in such a way. Just. Breaking it down and just being himself, his true self, like the tired expression on his face in between in that middle panel tells you so much of what he's trying to leave behind and and who he's trying to be. Who the heck is Max? So, yeah, I knew that was going to come because you said literally as you were reading it, Max WTF? What the heck? Like What the flark? I mean, I've heard Magnus, Eric, Magneto. Eric Magnus Lencher was his cover identity to, to essentially escape from people that were chasing after him. Mm-hmm. His real name is Max Eisenhart. This is an outrage. You have heard this information before. You were equally outraged. Mm-hmm. It's also ex- it is also explored in detail in the Grim Alkin Lane episodes where we put him on trial. Oh, right. Spoiler alert, we all love him. What a surprise. Here's the thing. So, so- but, it, but it's also a more Jewish name for... A man who is supposedly a survivor of right, right. So incarceration in the Holocaust camps. So he is basically saying in that moment, I'm wiping away all my aliases. I'm just going to be myself here. I'm being my true self, my my given name. I am Max. And that was established in 2009 in Magneto Testament. His original name being retconned to be Max Eisenhart. All right. I just I love this conversation between them. What does he just have a giant floating ball of Mysterium that he's going to make his house out of? It's not necessarily Mysterium, just metal. Any metal. Yeah, it might have been in the same way that in Sword Number One he flew to the Sword Station. Mm-hmm. I do in love. A ball. I do love this conversation between the two of them in the preparation for Max to set up his home here. In that 
you know, there's he's saying, the Fisher King is saying, like, listen, you can have your home here, but you can't call this yours. Right. Because it's not, that's not how this land works. The land is land. You don't own this land. It's just interesting point about you Krakoans think a lot about us and know a little. Speak the pain aloud. Mm. You know, that that talking about your pain is weakness. No, that's how you heal. That's how you grow. Right. Yeah, I loved I loved that layer of the Iraqi people and and this idea that just because we fight all the time doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge our trauma or the things that make us want to do that or the things that we have to fight for. Mm-hmm. Which is was to me kind of a moment to take a step back and go, oh yeah, I too think I know the Iraqi we people. We make assumptions but I about don't. them because, well, I mean, we've wanted to know more about right. them. So now we're getting that glares at X Men. <laughs> not not specifically the title, just the line. <laughs> just the X Office. Look at that little sandcastle. The Autumn Palace. But it looks like a sandcastle. Yeah, but come on. It's like I'm taking all of the adornments of my Island M base and recreating them in this nice home for me to retire in a grave to. I've got, um, oh yeah, when he said that, a grave for a, me to a die comfortable in. Comfortable grave for me to die in. I was in. like, so you don't want to be resurrected anymore, Magneto? Is with the Iraqi people, they are not in resurrection protocols. Oh, snap. Storm has no intention of dying, even if she can be brought back. She's made that clear throughout Marauders. Woof. Also, just just like to point out that that's a very big home for not so big of a ball of metal that was brought. We don't know if there are other balls. Okay. But we get, before he's even creating the Autumn Palace, we get the details on where Max is feeling, why the change to Araco and seclusion in this section of it. It's really kind of poetic, especially as he builds his new home, essentially his consolation prize for what he deems as the failure, the folly to realize his dream on Krakoa. And the name, the Autumn Palace, he sat in the autumn side of the council. Oh, interesting. Things I don't notice, but you do. I notice everything. The Red Lagoon. My new favorite hangout spot? Only when I'm on Mars. Only Araco, as we are reminded several it's times. not Mars anymore. Sunspot and Kobak never held. We saw Kobak in issue nine of S.W.O.R.D. fighting in the Circle Perilous yes. against Storm, which seems like she allowed him to yield and he accepted. Mm-hmm. I like this friendship. I do too. Connection over loss and sadness. I mean, I like all of these because there's so many... In, in the sense that Marauders started with a team where you got to learn about the individuals briefly. Mm-hmm. This is coming through individuals creating connection. Yeah. You know, each of these pairings, each of these scenes is exploring a lot about who this one character is and how they feel about the other people. Because you think about the cast that we see in this book. It's huge. Yeah. The Great Ring. Yeah, Everybody from lot. Sword. You know, there's a lot of people going on, but we're not... We have previously established information about sword we don't need to talk about sword station 2 in detail we don't need to know who else is on there we have the previously established information of the great ring we don't need to belabor the details of who's on it right but i do like that we're getting to see this other perspective this view into the level of respect that the people of Morocco have for each other and for each other's experiences and we're just getting this deeper understanding of them 
and their culture. It's the, it's the respect for shared pain, right? Yeah. You, are, you are of this broken land. I sense within you. Which is an interesting thing, right? Because they so specifically acknowledge and accept the people who are of their land of having shared trauma and shared pain and understand that they've all gone through these experiences. But when it comes to Storm, they're so resistant because she's not of that land but if they would if they would just get to know storm and all that she's been through i feel like they would find that they are the same they are similar they have had shared experience yeah i I just feel like there's never been a, a sharing of that whereas here you explicitly have Roberto sharing his pain, the the reasons why he fits in the broken land. You have Max sharing his pain, or at least alluding to right. his his recent pain and and his more historical pain. Right. So Storm needs to take that step. Yeah, she needs to connect over loss and sadness and the promise of disco. The promise of disco. The reoccurring theme of Krakoans who have lost finding place on Araco, finding peace in Araco, connecting with their people. Then we get more Shi'ar. Vulcan is here and he is unhappy. He's working through a lot. We don't know too much about Vulcan, but there seemed to be some big teases about him being set up by Hickman and Ewing is picking them up. Mm -hmm. So this idea that he never actually died in the War of Kings event and feels as though he should be the rightful leader of the Shi'ar. That's bananas. And that's where I think things are going to tie into what's happening with Marauders. Maybe. I also just, why is that bananas? What do you mean? Well, just just because he's so angry and I don't know anything about him. Yeah. So he comes in. And that's he's, what I think that that's from. Is He's making all these claims and he's like, no, I should do this and I should do that. And so he was the emperor of Shi'ar for a period of time and he also was technically born in shiar space yeah i got that from this from what he's saying that like he basically never actually died so he should never have lost his authority right but just the way the shiar are and their customs and their traditions and their bureaucracy it just seems like vulcan doesn't really fit in there well um you know it seems as though a lot of their their customs and traditions are experimenting and manipulating mutant genes because that is essentially where we got vulcan as retconned in the deadly genesis miniseries oh yeah so they would do that to more people. So that's where the other that's mutants are that's where that technology came from yeah also that vulcan is in Deadly Genesis, which has to do with Krakoa. like OG Krakoa. Yep. So many things could happen. This line about killing your Xavier. I am yeah, assuming. that's funny. <laughs> Everybody has to kill their own Xavier. Oh, Berto. Ah, I love this. Sunspot versus Vulcan and how one can absorb the other's energy. No powers in this fight. No help either. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. That the Iraqi people are like, oh, no, no, no. No, it would be this an insult. This is not your fault. You're, this is not my fight. This is your fight. I shall not insult you yeah. by trying to help. Thunderbird cracking jaws with a dope entrance line. Thunderbird is P.O.'d. It's can- so funny because I just like, 
you know, obviously we don't know a lot about him. I don't know a lot about him. He is in the other issue that we see him in. He's like, my brother, I love you. I'm right. here. I'm bonding. I'm happy. And then we see him in this issue and he's breaking faces with tables. He's got a lot to work through. And, right. And, you know, it, the world has changed drastically since he was last with us. That is very true. And he does not have a, a great affinity for the Summers family or, or really anyone in charge. Anyone who's a recruiter of sorts. I do think it's a little... I think in this issue, the reason I liked Birdo is because Vulcan took on that pompous, arrogant role. Like, mm. he he took that. For the fact that he's like, I'm a Summers man, so I'm basically royalty. I was like, okay, dude, shut up. I mean, that's kind of how they're treated in a sense, yes. But Not by me. Okay, but that matters little <laughs> to the mutant people, just so you know. What? <laughs> that is outrageous. But it, this whole interaction with Thunderbird really starts to peel back the layers of how he's feeling. Something that's really interesting to explore. Man was resurrected, had a nice meeting with his brother, but hasn't really made peace with what's happened since. True. That's true. And then. <laughs> but the Iraqis are like, uh, excuse me, this is not your fight. Not your fight, bro. Can you back up? And then. Cable just making it worse. The sheriffs in these parts rolling into the space saloon. Uncle Gabe. <sighs> that thing with Petra and Sway not allowed at Summer's house. This intrigue and another Hickman pickup. Right. So they were all at the Summer's house in that one issue. And, and Hickman has alluded to the fact that that was a, a writing mistake where... They weren't supposed to be alive or something. Right. They were supposed yeah. to only exist in Vulcan's mind, but Havoc references them i don't know if they're gonna try to figure out a way to backtrack that or interesting to see what they'll do with that we don't get a whole lot of information but it'll be fleshed out brand is up to no good up in here yeah it is a funny like dynamic of you know cable is this older man and he's like but you're my uncle and maybe my dad can help us out yeah that's cable brand's having none of it take him to the brig yeah which savage line from Cable trying to stir it up. You had a plane to catch. You weren't around. So you might not know explicitly what that's talking about, but Thunderbird died chasing an airplane. Ah. And it exploded, and that's what happened. And that's why he left his brother, and that's why Cable's picking fights. Right. Cable being the one who then recruited Warpath to X-Force, the original incarnation, and, and raised him as a soldier, essentially. Ah, and that's, context that helps me. Right. So that's really the, the conversation and what they're talking about and potentially what Thunderbird knows about now having been resurrected and having met with his brother, just what happened in that time that he was gone. Yes. Because, you know, this this reference to Xavier, Frost, all of them, the recruiters, the people building their teams. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily telepaths, but interesting that he calls out three telepaths specifically. But these people that raised mutant armies of children. Yeah. Mutant children armies. I don't know how Vulcan is not the face of Brand's new X-Men team. Well. Which we find out in a little bit. Spoiler alert, I guess. Spoilers. (laughs) Well, you don't know that he might be. I think he is. I think he has to be. Which means he would be against. Right. The Brotherhood. Right. The best moment of the... No, no. The second best moment of the issue. No, it was the best moment. Uh, Was it all together? The final image and the... Maybe it was. I don't know what you're talking about. Ah, we'll get to it in a minute and I'll explain. Data pages on data pages on data pages. Two data pages. 
talking about the reactions. I thought this was a great insight into the members, how they voted and why. Reminders of how awful Tarn is and how the Iraqi people hate him. Praise Tarn. Praise Tarn. And Iska the Unbeaten picking up that thread of Red Root. I do think it is an interesting conversation that the two of them have about why Iska doesn't vote. Right. And it kind of makes me think about Iska and potential similarities to Domino. And that like Iska the unbeaten, she's basically saying whatever I vote is going to be the outcome because I'm Iska. So that feels similar to Domino's luck in that like Domino is lucky to get out of situations. Like what is it about Iska that makes her unbeaten? That's her mutant power. So so I do think it's admirable of her to want to want to abstain to let the vote be a natural vote but i do i would also argue then why are you a part of this council right because if you vote or like put forth ideas does that mean your ideas would always go through so so are you actually benefiting Araco in the way like if you're saying that you're gonna abstain always then like are you actually benefiting Araco, or should someone else who can have a A voice. voice be in that seat probably yeah but i like iska so i do too and the intricacies of how her powers work as well as the the tensions between her and storm's leadership mm-hmm. decisions i feel like builds a lot of what could be played with later on agreed i do i do want to shout out you know everybody's talking about immortal and and red being the new flagship but let's just remember that spectacular recent issue of x-men and the number of threads that have now paid off because mm-hmm. of it, right? So setting up these councils, setting up these arguments and what's going on now. It's crazy. Queen, Regent, Majesty, Araki, Brand, the Ugh. Queen of Mars. Addressing the Queen of Mars with that devious face. She has a very specific agenda and uses her language to manipulate the opinion of the situation and really get under Storm's skin. Yeah. When when we colonized Mars and then yeah appropriated Mars violent morons like like that to me is like uh, I just there wasn't anything living on Mars right to to colonize or to appropriate like I guess you could argue differently that Mars was just itself its entity and you changed it it was a dead planet though and that's Storm's dead. argument yeah. yeah and and not in the sense that you look at how the Iraqi are treating the land you look at the the diplomatic ring and how it is an open port for all visitors. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is not our space. You can't come. Right. This is a welcoming, a new seat of diplomacy for the soul system, which is essentially what you wanted, Bran. I feel like you're just trying to stir things up. Yeah. hundred percent. She's just jealous that it's not hers. And so she's going to take it down and talk crap about it so that it, it is construed as a negative because yeah. it's not hers. Iska having called that Krakoa should have conquered Earth. Yeah, probably. <laughs> she fought against Arako up until the end, and she's heralded as the, the voice of the people. Arako needs a controlling influence. Cultural ambassadors setting a good example. Isn't that what the X-Men always were? Essentially, Brand wants a team of peacekeepers. You know, you know like Hunger Games fit, yeah, version like, of peacekeepers. That's not what we're going to do here, Brand. And in my mind, I'm questioning... Does she ever want Storm on the team or is she just announcing what she's working on? What Right, she's just saying I'm going to be putting this together. Right, you could be a, you could be the leader, but it seems like and and maybe she's assuming that Storm would be on board, 
I just got the feeling that Bran's intentions were never to actually recruit Storm, but to create a divide. Yeah. It makes me question, what jurisdiction does Bran have here? Yeah, I don't know. She's the commander of space stations. You know, right. You, you are the defense, but also in cahoots and with the And you had enemy. a sword team, and you, you freaking blew them all up and destroyed them. Right. So... But like to to insist that you have the ability to create, and I feel like maybe that's what she needs from Storm is just the authority to create a team yeah. on this planet. Because otherwise, she doesn't have it. You just some some lady, right? With hot hands. With hot hands. Few, I love this. A few more digs as Storm walks away, just to drive it home further. But yeah, and then she has her moment. She's just like, "There's no thrones. I'm destroying this." Boom. From Regent to Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> Which Chris at the comic shop, one of the covers, he was like, how is this a spoiler? It's her bringing down lightning, essentially destroying the throne, mm. which not really a spoiler, but also leads you to where she's going. Back at the Autumn Palace. Two best friends Again, hanging out. Love this conversation. Maybe future lovers, who knows? Don't they? But... <laughs> I'm just messing. There was there, so the way that I question that is the only insistence that Magneto and Charles are are lovers is because of their ideological respect for each other and just how they've they've kind of like had this bad breakup and then just driven completely under each other's skins over the years. This is just a nice guy that Magneto's bonding with. But it could be a different kind of relationship, a more healthy relationship for Magneto. Someone who is share has a shared experience of, you know, prison and heartache and hardship, but understands him in a new way. Nope. Nope. He says not nope. having it. Well, he's not a mutant. No. So. Yeah. Which. Whoa. Which Magneto's like, you're human. What the the facial reaction. Which again is like just another perspective of the way the Iraqi right. people bond. It's not if you like, and that's what makes it so interesting to me that they are so against other people because well, we're like mutants are like Krakoa is like, you have to be a mutant to be on Krakoa. Iraqos thing is you have to have lived through what we lived through to be here. Right. Mutant or not. And in the same way that Sunfire in that X-Men issue, proves himself by defeating the people who come for him. Right. He he claims the space in the broken land. Right. It's interesting. But powers do not make you Iraqi. War and struggle do. I was not born on Earth. I am not human. That's what human means. Right. And also, but him saying that, what makes you Iraqi is war and struggle. Right. So, so many Krakowans would also be Iraqi under that umbrella yeah but i feel like also you have to to seek it right you know right. you're just like right right you're I'm iraqi say, because I'm, you had a hard day you i'm know? not saying like blanket they become iraqi i'm just saying it opens up the potential for more of them to go there and embrace, embrace the cultural differences cultural. Yeah. yeah 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 hey it's sun spot i almost called him sunfire uh can we have a disco in here it's disco cool. palace imagine the lights yeah Again, another great establishment of their relationship, mm -hmm. the respect between them. You know, Magneto served as headmaster of Xavier's school while the New Mutants were his charges. Yeah. Right. So they, they have a, a deep connection got through that. And Magneto has too many names. Too many names, which I love. I love that the Fisher King is like, wait a minute. 
your Max, your Magneto, and also your Eric. Your Eric, your headmaster. Your... Sunspot has an eye on Brand, and she's up to something. Building Thank a God utopia. Notices. Right, because come on. Again, another point for Sunspot in this book. Building a utopia without working with the Iraqi people. We need X-Men to defend Mars. And then from off panel, ooh, Storm. Ooh, that eyeball. No, not the X-Men. This is not Mars. This is Arako. To defend it, we must be of Arako. Brand is the one looking for X-Men, and she'll find them. So Arako needs to balance that. Well, who defends the broken land? <gasps> this is what I was saying. The reveal of her look plus the statement of the Brotherhood, this is the best moment of the issue. That's what, that's what I was saying. Yeah. I wasn't sure if they were on the same page or oh, two no. separate Oh, this, no. This was Goosey's. This was... Yeah. Yo... That Not outfit. Only, yeah, the outfit, the look, the confidence, the lightning. Everything. The the statement the Brotherhood does. Like this is not this is not your granddad's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. This is right. a Brotherhood of Mutants. And, right. And I've just I love that. No as a evil concept. mutants, just right. a brotherhood. We're just a brotherhood protecting our own. I love it. I love I'm it. I'm so excited for what's about to come out of this this title. Yeah. Vulcan, our tease for the next issue. Dun, dun, dun. And the cover featuring a one-on-one of Storm and Vulcan. So Vulcan is going to be like challenging Storm now for the regent role or her seat? I don't know about, well, maybe, maybe out of the instruction of Brand mm-hmm. because he's working. Because if, if Brand can get her man on the inside, right? he's not going to beat her though. Overall thoughts? Amazing. Fantastic. Great world building. Good character connections, beautiful art. Yeah. Dope drop at the end. Here for it. Yeah, I loved Top it. Top of my list. Almost as much as I loved Immortal X-Men. Yeah. If not as much as I loved Immortal X-Men, but for wildly different reasons. For wildly different reasons. The prospect of this battle feels familiar and new at the same time. Mm-hmm. These X-Men and the Brotherhood building up. So much to this setup in a much quieter way, a much smaller cast than I feel like we really got to connect to and connect with and reference past continuity without being heavy handed with it. Yeah. The art was gorgeous. The characterizations were spot on. The concept is huge. I loved it. I loved it. There's a lot of talk about the flagship title, right? What the flagship title is. People are just like, oh, this is the new flagship or this is the new flagship. Immortal X-Men stepped up in a big way. And this steps in a different direction in an equally big way. The council dealings, the opposing ideologies, I feel like we're heading into a time where there are several flagship X-Men titles telling big stories. I was going to say, I feel like there's no flagship title. It it just, well, maybe, where it just feels like there's several of them, Uh, you know. Yeah, like anything. Well, I feel like they want you to read all of them. They want you to be immersed in the world. So they're not going to give you a title that doesn't connect to anything else. Well, yeah, but it all, at the end, it all should connect to the story of Krakoa, right? Mm -hmm. The the struggles of the people on Earth and beyond. Mm -hmm. I think it really depends on the next few issues of X-Men and if they're able to continue the the heat that they were throwing in issue 10. Yeah, for sure. Some questions. Okay, hit me. The Great Ring. Mm-hmm. So this unrest of where they are, what they're doing, and the general question of who is leading them. Why did Storm want this leadership role? You kind of said, 
to you know she thought that she could help them she thought that she could lead them into a new way of of peace and or at least a, an in-between of war and peace yeah i think it but i think it was really more like the sense i get from storm because i again we haven't taken a deep dive too much into storm but i've gotten nuggets of her here and there is that she has this motherly nurturing quality to her and so when the iraqi people became immersed in krakoa i feel that storm felt it was her duty to figure out a way to make them feel welcome and embraced Mm. and maybe they're taking it they're taking it as a way of you're trying to overthrow us or you're trying to act like you're one of us but she's saying you know let me show you how to let your guard down enough to be included and immersed in what we're doing let me show you that outside that other people can have your back the same way that you have each other's back that that your family can grow which is kind of similar to what the fisher king is saying about the iraqi people is that you know it's not just hardened battles all the time it is connection it is sharing it is growing from the pain which is also an interesting perspective of you know, the people of Araco versus the leadership of Araco. And the people have experienced so much more than just war for so long, but the leadership has always been focused on the war, the next war, the next fight, that it's interesting to see that someone who's just a person of Araco just living there, experiencing it, is saying it's about so much more than that. But the leadership has been so pigeonholed into the war part of it that maybe they have forgotten that there's so much more to it. That there are people and culture. Right. So Blonde China on Instagram and I have the same question. Oh, the same question. And it was two of them, actually. Where do other mutants fall on this divide? Who does Bran get on her X-Men? Who else do we see on the Brotherhood? Yikes. I don't I don't have immediate answers. I feel like Vulcan definitely is going to lead the X-Men of Bran's making. Mm-hmm. I think she'll have some pull to bring in some other mutants from S.W.O.R.D. But at the same time, I feel like Storm connects with and knows and, and could get the ear of Frenzy and Korra. Yeah, I was going to say I want a Rocky mutants. Absolutely. On the Brotherhood team. I feel like you're not going to bring back Kobach never held and then not have him go anywhere. Let's get Iska on that roster. Maybe, yeah. I mean, that would make sense. That'd like, be a huge pull. Storm goes to Iska and she says, "Listen, there's a there's a new war coming." Yeah, you want We wanted- need we need you. Don't you want to defend your your people. Please don't switch sides. Please stay on our side. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I, and I feel like Brand's situation is going to be tricky. I feel like she's still got Cable on her side. Which is interesting to me because of how much he should know about the future. Like He potentially should know dependent on, it depends on what, what his future, time. Right. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is what Brand is up to. Right. And that's so why he doesn't. He initially wasn't trusting of her in sword. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it just in the same way of what Brand was doing? You keep your enemies close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe he is in more of that mindset, but he wouldn't go over to the Brotherhood team because he wouldn't reveal that right. plan yet. Yeah. 
I don't know, but I I know that I definitely think and hope that the Brotherhood is a mix of Arako and Krakoa. Yeah, I feel like you you have your your three mains on the cover right there. Mm-hmm. That's your core of the Brotherhood. And then you fill out the rest of the roster with Iraqi people that either we have seen before or that are newly introduced. And maybe you put one more Krakoan on there. Yeah. I think Thunderbird makes sense. Thunderbird does make sense. Just where he was, where we left it. And and to give him some reason to have been resurrected. Yeah. I feel like that was a lot of... What's his goal? A lot of what people were calling for is that, hey, you know, this is a character that's been dead for how long? And... You don't just bring them back to let them sit in the background. Right. Give them something to do. Yeah. This is that. You got to make it worth it. Yeah. I just want to talk a little bit about the Iraqi people for a bit. Mm-hmm. They've come up. They've been around since Ten of Swords. And yet we still only know so little about them. And, and that is underscored a couple of times throughout this issue. Yeah. We only even know a handful of their names and characterizations. What else do you want from them? What else do you want to see? I, I want more mutants, obviously. Yeah. Like I want more, and I want more understanding of their culture. Yes, I feel that's like, what I was going to say. Whereas Krakoa is starting brand new and is establishing its culture, Arako has a deep culture that has been built over the however many years they were a society separate. Yeah, I want to know more about like the openness and the sharing and the community aspect that the Fisher King seems to be addressing and bringing up and saying like if you have a house here your door has to remain open and or we'll fight you for it right like this land doesn't belong to anybody we you know all share in everything support each other are here for each other have shared experiences i'd love to know more about that and their community and you know what roles the everyday person of Araco, mutant of Araco, yeah you know what is their life like yeah. and who are they? Also, intrigue into what the, like, what's it like at the port of Araco, right? Yeah, what, I, what are the imports and exports? What's the, <laughs> don't give me Araco X-Corp. I don't care for that. But just to know a little bit more about, are there other people from other parts of space coming in and interacting with them like they've set up this station they've set up this port what happens there right and there's only been some we saw some of that in sword and i feel like a lot of people i was talking to street rocker comics on instagram earlier today and he was saying how he wasn't he wasn't that hyped to pick up x-men red because he wasn't a big fan of sword oh due to the amount of tie-ins that it had which was some of your reaction, actually. Yeah. When thinking back on Sword as a title, that was one of the reasons that I really liked it because it felt larger than Krakoa. It felt larger than just the X-Men. It felt more connected to other things. Al Ewing has said in interviews that there won't be tie-ins in this book in the same way that there was in Sword. That right, so that's a little bit of a... Reassurance yeah. that this is going to be... the, And it makes sense because Sword is the big universe, right? Right. Sword is the big picture. X-Men Red is Arako, Planet Arako. That's yeah. where the story should be. And so he even said, it was a written interview a while back, that there's not going to be a tie-in unless there's a big X on the event. Right. Which is reassuring. Cool. We got a bunch of just reactions to X-Men Red from some people. Chili's Polist thought Red Chile. was good. Yeah, Chili. 
And he was about to read X-Force, so that gives you an insight into his reading order. Mm-hmm. Hot Claws had clapping hands all around. All around. All around. Hands. Warline thinks that Thunderbird deserved what he got. And I agree in the fact that everything Cable said was true, especially after Thunderbird was talking smack about Cable's time with James. I just, you know, I feel like Cable was stirring the pot as yeah, Thunderbird. They were... They were- Pushing each other's buttons. Thunderbird is a known hothead and, you know, just, just I mean, he pushing just that further. I mean, he straight up started out with a table. He's like, I'm just going to start this battle with a table to the face. Well, the battle had already been started, yeah, to be fair. His his input was immediate table to the face. That does seem a little hot-headed. Want that guy in my corner. That's true, yeah. But away from my table. <laughs> And Warline also can't wait for Vulcan to know who Birdo's crush is. Crying, laughing emoji. Uh, Deathbird and Vulcan have a history. And oh. So that's that's going to fuel some more fire between them. Oh, man. Primetime Outlaw said that X-Men Red is weird and I feel is going to not be written well. Almost like a trial of Magneto. And I don't know. I, I generally have faith in Al Ewing and really loved issue one. So... I think it's going to be great, personally. Oh, I would like to know more. Like, weird in what way? Yeah, I almost followed up and asked a, a question, but I just didn't have time. Mm. Justin, over at No Good Comics, calling out the line of Cable to John, you had a plane to catch, and the savagery in all the best ways. Yes, it, so savage. Such a, such a perfect line. It's like the, um, now I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was like a Emma and Jean moment. Something about a drink. Oh, right. Yeah, you're buying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Don't I always. Yeah. yeah. The shade between frenemies. Yeah. And last but not least, Eric Huffman says, X-Force, meh. Marauders had a good start and he wants more. Agreed. Mm-hmm. X-Men Red excited for the new brotherhood and he also wants to know who else is on the team. Yeah. I, I, it's a good question it, to ask. Right. Because that's, that's going to be what's fueling the divide even further. Maybe someone from the X-Men election will end up on the X-Men red team. I think that it makes sense for Gentle mm. just because of his proximity to Storm and knowing that he likely did not win the election. Yeah, poor Gentle. And just, I don't know, but then you wonder like his, his what he feels in duty to T'Challa. Right, would he take that step? Right. Outside of just being a Krakoan undercover. Dun, dun, dun. Well, we have another episode sometime this weekend. Uh, I'm not actually sure when I'll have it up, but should be maybe Saturday, maybe Sunday. We'll see. Within the next couple of days. We'll dive deep into that double dose of X-Force as well as Infinity Comics and other news. I will tell you next week. What do we got? X-Men number 10, speaking about following up on X-Men. X-Men 92, House of 92. Uh Oh! And then a couple others that are kind of strays that the the what if Miles Morales became Wolverine. Interesting. Yep, yep. Need my bub fix. (laughs) Black Panther number five, which doesn't directly tie in, but is building that that subplot of, and I feel like that with Gentle is an interesting. Oh, yeah. I wonder. That's happening. Right. On Arako, is it not? Right. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if where Gentle falls. Where are you, Gentle? 
uh, Eternals number 11 comes out next week, and I may start picking up Eternals just to get an idea of what's been building in that series leading into Judgment Day. Yeah, that makes sense. And that Captain- tracks with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Captain Carter number two comes out for you. Pop, pop. Hey, hey. Well, until next time, old friend. Yes. I got a new man now. His name is Fisher King. Bye, Charles. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. <laughs>